Uh, good morning, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful week. So good to see you today. And I hope I can bring some hope and encouragement into your heart and life. I want to talk about turning your mess into a miracle. In Deuteronomy 3, verse 3, God is saying that the Ammonites and the Moabites shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to a tenth generation. Then verse 4 tells us why. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were traveling through the Sinai Desert on their way to the Promised Land. Then neither the Ammonites nor the Moabites offered them bread and water, and they even hired the false prophet Balaam to curse them. Verse 5, nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Please remember, in the new covenant, Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead, and redeemed every one of us that names Him as our Savior from every curse of the law that we might inherit a blessing. He goes on to say the curse without a cause can't even come. Well, some witches threw a dead chicken on our porch and cursed us. I hear that dumb stuff all the time. Well, it's just a dead chicken out there. You know, if it's clean, cook it. If it's not, throw it in the trash. But a curse without a cause cannot come on you. And I know that, and God says that, so what are you worried about? Oh, the witches curse me. No, they can't curse me. You've been blessed. You've been blessed with God's favor, and He promises you He'll turn that curse into a blessing for you. The enemy is always trying to curse you. He hates you. He never has a good thought about you. You know, even a, even a bad man might say sometimes, yeah, I better let up a little bit. They really suffered a lot, but the enemy never has a good thought about you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's 24-7. He never lets up. You've got to stay on guard. You've got to stay in a position of resistance and go on the attack and be defensive as well as offensive every day of your life. You've got to be sober-minded and alert. You can't just walk around goofy and uh, distracted. The enemy hates your guts. He was a worshiper of the Most High God, but he was removed. He covered as a covering cherub the throne of Almighty God. Can you think of the privilege? And yet, he rebelled against God, was cast out of heaven, and so he hates those who worship God. So he tries to kill us and curse us. But God says, but the Lord God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. And I don't know if you feel that or not, but you need to take God's word for it. When He says He loves you, He does, even ugly OU. He loves you. That's a fact. I get a little bit frustrated sometimes with children or when my kids were growing up, but I love them. There was no doubt in my mind or heart my unconditional love for them frustrated, a little ticked off occasionally, disappointed sometimes, but unconditional love. And your heavenly Father, who's a perfect Father, never feels any different than that about you. God promises He can turn a victim into a victor. And there are plenty of people in this room today who have been victims. But just a cautionary note, this has been going on for 10 years. You're a volunteer. Hello. Some of you need to stop volunteering, and you need to say, enough is enough and stop it, and take an action to stop it, and do something to get out of that situation to move away from it. Dr. Phil says you're only a victim when it happens once, but if you've been living in it, 
You've been living in an abusive relationship. You've been living in a go-nowhere relationship, and you've prayed, and you've done your best and your part. You can't do somebody else's part. And it's time for you to say, enough is enough. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to be this way anymore. And watch God turn you into a victor. God can turn a whiner into a winner. And some of you complain all the time. I know you know who you are. But God can turn your complaining into praising. Just press in and believe God can turn you into a winner. I absolutely believe that. I can have victory over anything the enemy sets against me, and so can you. The Spirit of Christ can go where no counselor can go, where no human being can go. He can go into your emotions. He can go into your mind. He can go into your heart. He can go into your spirit. He not only saves your soul, but He can bring you victory over everything that has happened or is happening in your life. So I want to give you some illustrations to give you some hope and encouragement today. Look at this. God turned it around for a guy named Joseph. Joseph was his daddy's pet, his favorite. And his brothers were extremely jealous of him. And boy, do we need to get jealousy out of our lives and out of the church. We're to rejoice with those that God blesses. Why are we some of the most negative people when God does something wonderful, amazing for somebody? Well, I can't believe that. Well, look at that. Well, and you know them, and, I, and, and we should have that happen to us. The Bible says rejoice. Somebody got a new house, rejoice with them. Go over, bake a cake, and say, man, isn't this amazing? I'm in line. I serve the same God. God can make something happen for me, but not until I get that nasty spirit out of my heart. So there ought to be no place for jealousy but celebration. And if God did it for you, God will do it for me. I'm in the same line. I watch God do amazing things for people. It, uh, it boosts my morale. It gives me hope and encouragement that if He did it for them, He'll do it for you. So rejoice with those who rejoice and are blessed. Well, God filled Joseph with dreams as a 17-year-old kid. He told his brothers about his dreams. That was mistake number one. And they became even more curious and envious about their brother. Finally, they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. So he was taken down into Egypt. He ended up in Potiphar's house. While in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. This went on and on and on for weeks. But Joseph held on to his convictions, and he refused. Joseph ran from the presence of the temptation. Now, I'm a Spirit-filled believer, a charismatic, but I, I, God doesn't say <laughs> in some temptations, He doesn't say pray in tongues. He says run, flee fornication. Say, well, I'm going to pray in tongues. Well, that ain't going to help you. That's not what God said. God said flee, get, get run out. God knows how He made us men. He knows we're very visually stimulated. He says leave the area. You're going to have a meltdown right here. And so, uh, she tells his wife that he tried to attempted rape, which was a lie. And as a result, Potiphar believed her instead of Joseph, and he ends up in a prison. So, he goes from Potiphar's house to a place of great privilege all the way down to a pit in a prison. But watch God turn this victim into a victor. And what God did for Joseph, He can do and will do for you. I'm sure it didn't seem like it was overnight. It was 17 years. But one night, Joseph's in prison. The next day, he gets a shower, a shave, a brand new beautiful robe and suit, a little Mr. T starter kit with some jewelry, and he goes right into the palace. It's a fact. One day he's a prisoner. The next day he's prime minister all of Egypt. In one day, God can turn it around. It's amazing what can happen in one day. Just one stinking day. 
and a dark night can turn into a bright day. God can take tragedy and turn it into incredible triumph. Joseph was a prisoner in the dungeon. The Bible says God was with him. Now, we read that so glibly. If you read that chapter in Genesis 41, and the Lord was with Joseph, and all this bad stuff's happening to Joseph. He's just going from bad to worse. And it says, and the Lord was with Joseph, but the Lord was with Joseph. You got to remember, I'm reading that. Joseph couldn't read that. It hadn't been written. Joseph had to take that by faith. And God told this apostle Paul that when, you, when he recorded the Old Testament, he did it for our benefit, for our instruction, and for our encouragement. God says, look at that. I'm the same God. I don't change. And what I did for him, I can and I will. I'll do it for you. And in one night, God makes him second in command of all of Egypt. Genesis 41, verse 40. Here's what Pharaoh says to him. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. Our God can turn it around. I know some of you are discouraged, and whatever prison Satan has put you in, God says, I can get you out overnight. There are people here today in prison. Some are chained or bound to certain addictions or habits. But I'm telling you, he says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And Isaiah 61 talks about the coming Messiah that we know as Jesus. And one of his attributes is he sets captives free. God doesn't want any of his people in bondage, and he doesn't want you chained up in prison to some addiction. Now, if you want to be a victim and if you want to be a volunteer, he'll let you. You have a free will. But boy, the moment your mind agrees with God's Word, good things start happening. You do not have to be subject to that bondage anymore. Now, if you're ignorant and unlearned and you don't know, then the enemy can deceive you, trick you, trap you, and keep you caged like an animal. But the moment I know I have a legal right to be free, I'm out of here. I'm on my way to making steps and decisions that I'm going to do something about it. Whether it's an addiction, whether it's an abusive situation, I don't have to stay in that thing. I don't have to be afraid. And I'm telling you, for some of you living in abusive marriages, I'm talking about physical abuse and uh, uh, the, the kind that puts your life in danger. For God's sake, I'd rather beg food on a street with a sign than live in that kind of bondage. At least you're free. You're free, but you are not free till you do something. And God will intervene the moment you step on that water. He's not going to do anything until you take that step and believe Him and you trust Him. And some of you are afraid. You're afraid that that choice to leave a bad situation will leave you in a worse place than where you are today. What a dirty lie from hell. That is a step to escape in freedom. And you've allowed the enemy to capture your mind and your thought into thinking, this is your only hope. God help me. I'd rather French kiss a Labrador retriever than live another night in an abusive situation. That's the way I express that, okay? I, I know for some of you religious people that's a little much, but I'm dead serious about it. There are just some things worse that, that, that are not as bad as living in certain situations. And until you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, nothing's going to change. Nothing will change until you say, I don't have to live this way anymore. I won't live this way anymore. I don't have to be subject to my flesh. I don't have to be subject to my addiction. I'm going free. You will go free. God says, whom the sun sets free, you'll be free indeed. 
God is such an incredibly good God that He doesn't want to leave any of us in any prison. He wants to turn it around and get us up and get us out. Jeremiah 32, verse 17, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. Now, there's plenty of things too hard for me, but God says, there's not one thing too hard for me. I can make something out of nothing. I can open the womb of a 90-year-old woman and give her a good-looking chassis so that a heathen king wants her for his harem. I can make a 100-year-old man able to produce a child. I can open the Red Sea. I can back up the sun 10 degrees. I can, I can make water turn to wine. I can raise a dead body. What is it that God couldn't do for you? If you don't see him as unlimited, you got a little God. You need to get a bigger vision of a bigger God who says, there is nothing too hard for me. Now, we've all had setbacks, haven't we? We've all had adversity. Every human being does. And as we move forward on this journey of life, the enemy will always try to sabotage our destiny. But God can turn your setback into a big, big comeback. When the devil tries to kill you, God can take that tombstone and make it a stepping stone and take you higher than you've ever been before. Satan wants to put you down. God wants to lift you up. God can turn this thing around for you, I'm telling you. Notice, secondly, God turned it around for a guy named Moses. Moses was spared from death when he was just a baby because his mother wouldn't kill him. There had, uh, Pharaoh had uh, said, no, we're going to kill all these Hebrew baby boys. She refused, spared him. He ended up going into Pharaoh's house, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Exodus 2, verse 11 and 12. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out with his brethren and looked at their burden. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw nobody, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. So we see where Moses kills an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. When he thought nobody was looking, he killed the Egyptian. When Pharaoh found out, Moses went to the most wanted list, and he had to flee out into the wilderness. He left his adopted family, he left his adopted people, and he left his royal position in the palace. So he's on the backside of a desert, 40 years out there, going nowhere. He probably was singing the Beatles' old song. He's a real nowhere man. Sitting in a nowhere land. Anybody? I think in terms of songs, okay? All right. Sometimes songs are good theology, you know. I mean, the dude's not going anywhere out there for 40 years, right? But he's standing his father-in-law's sheep, and God appeared to Moses out of a burning bush. This is Exodus 3, verse 10. God told him he was going to make Moses the deserter into Moses a great deliverer. God can take the biggest loser in this church and turn him or her into the greatest leader in the church. Only God can do that. God can take the foolish things of this world and confound the wisdom of the wise. He can turn it around. He loves to do it because it shows his power. I don't like to be weak, and you don't like to be weak, but God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I'll take the dumbest, worst thing in the world, just stick it in the face of religious people and the world and do something incredible with them. I love what he does with Joel Osteen because he just makes a lot of my preacher friends really mad. 
They think they're so better and they preach better and they got better doctrine and they don't blink and squint and show a lot of ivory and teeth and they just can't figure it out. And I thought God figured it out. God says, I'm going to use something and you can make fun of it all you want, but I'll just show you it's my strength and my power and not yours. It's not by might or power. I wish I could do what he could do. I'd grin all day and blink. I'd get Cindy to dye her hair blonde and do the same thing, whatever. I'm just talking now over a cup of coffee. All right, we're not, we're just being real people, but I hear it all the time. And and anytime I hear that, I know what's going on. They can't explain how something they don't think is as good as they are or as smart as they are can have so much. And God says, well, I like to work that way. I like to use people you don't like. I like to use people you think are total losers and failures and elevate them with my grace and my mercy and do something powerful out of them. I really love that about our God. That's why I never feel like anybody who, who has a, hasn't lost their mind and given up their will, there's no hopeless cases in this room. No, you still have a brain. You still have the power of yes and no. And those are the two words God gave you. He doesn't give a cocker spaniel, yes and no. No, no, you're not an animal. You're made in the image and likeness of God. You have the power of choice. And you are where you are today because of the choices you've made, good or bad, but you made them. And here's the good news. You start making better choices and change your future. I can't change the past, but God can redeem it, and I can change my future by the choices I make today. And all of us have made foolish choices, but don't make them twice. Don't make them twice. Don't waste your life. Don't let the years go by. Don't waste your youth and then regret it years later when you finally make the hard call and make the decision you've had enough and you let years go by. Nail that thing early. The Bible says because sentence against an evil work is not quickly executed, it gets worse. It gets worse. Bad doesn't get better longer. Stop it. I'm good at that. Well, if I see something going bad, I'll jump on it right now. Because, you know, as an old pilot, I, I, I want you to blow up on me on the runway, not at 30,000 feet. So I, I'm going to push your button and see what's in there. Oh, that's nasty. Uh-huh. I'm glad I found out now. Somebody had a, uh, we've had some of our ladies, there have been several cases over the years where they were engaged, going to be married, planned the date, and the guy walked out on them. And I, and I know it's heartbreaking. I'm not a girl. I'm not that sensitive. But I know that's got to be emotionally devastating. I know that. I'm not insensitive to that. You want to punch somebody out. But at the other side, I want to say, hey, God's protecting you. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you, rather, wouldn't you rather get this loser out of your life now than be married and have kids and then have him flip on you? The damage is going to be less. Do it now. I'm ashamed of what we used to preach in the old days. My, we, we made women stick around and get beat up and do all kinds of stupid stuff out of religion. I wouldn't tolerate that one second today. That's why I'm not a counselor, okay? I'm not Dr. Phil. I'm not a counselor. But I am a decision maker, and I can make one quick. And I'm not going to get myself in a stinking mess that I don't take action to get out of it. And all I want to do is I want to be your friend as well as a pastor and a leader. I want to help you say, come on, pull the trigger. Shoot this thing. Get rid of this dog. Do something or get out of this bad situation. Leave this idiot's house. He doesn't want to marry. He just wants to sleep with you, and he abuses you while you're there. Get out of this situation. Get back in school. Make some good choices and get a good future. God's still got good plans for you. You don't have to just live this way. You can walk away. Just walk away, Renee. 
Get off the bus, Gus, and make a new plan stand. You ask my wife if I don't live this way. I live this way. And I'm telling you, you, God can do anything, but He needs a little cooperation from you. A little bit, right? God takes the foolish things, confounds the wise, He can turn it around. Now, every one of us will face tests. I hate tests, don't you? I hated them in school. I graduated from the University of South Carolina in 1968. Let me tell you how much I love school. I didn't even go to my own graduation. They mailed me my diploma, and it's in my office upstairs. I'd never been back. Just, we got a reunion. We want you to join us. I said, you go do something else. I'm not coming to your dumb thing. I took all the tests. I took all the degrees. I studied hard. I gave my best. And when it was over, it was over. I'm out of there. I didn't like it. Now, I did what I didn't like to get what I wanted. I wanted the education. I wanted an advanced degree. I wanted to get wisdom. I wanted to apply myself. But I'm telling you, I didn't like it. I don't like to get up and go exercise. I don't like to eat the nasty stuff my wife fixes up made out of greens. It's gag-a-maggot. It's awful. And I drink this stuff every single day. I like the results it gives me, but I don't like doing it. Would that be fair to tell you that? Well, to get what you want, sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do. And it doesn't always feel good, and it doesn't always taste good. But God can take a test and turn it into a testimony. Nobody wants to go through a test. <laughs> but if you, if you want a testimony, you have to go through a test. God can take the biggest battle you've ever been in and turn it into a major blessing and benefit. Every time adversity is presented, promotion gets offered. And you're not going to go anywhere unless you pass the test. Some of you, I'm spiritually speaking, you've been in a third grade for 20 years. You have to keep taking the course over and over. You're on your fourth husband. Take it over and over and over. Why? You didn't pass the test. So if you want the reward, if you want promotion, even in the secular, you've got to pass a test. And then you get promoted, right? We don't do the socialism promotion. You've got to pass. I went to school with, 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 it was a long time ago. I was trying to think of his name, Frady, uh, Frady. He was 21 years old and played on my high school football team. He'd been in school longer than I was old, but he never passed. And they just kept, and back in those days, you just keep playing football. So we had, a, we had a, an Oakland Raider guy on the team, and we all were just going through puberty and shaving. But Oscar, Oscar Frady, that was his name, Oscar Frady, the nicest guy you'd ever meet. But he was a grown man with hairy legs and a big beard and shaven and a big bull. He was a grown man. And we were just kids on a high school team. But you know what? Back then, if you didn't pass, you didn't get promoted. Some of you wouldn't like that, would you? And you want God to promote you, but you won't pass a test. You're going to have to pass it in marriage. You're going to have to pass it in relationships. You're going to have to pass it for your destiny and for your dream and for life. You can't pass the test. Hey, I love you. See you in heaven, but you're not going anywhere. Number three, God turned it around for David. David was a sheep puncher and a heart plucker. That's what he was. And God chooses unusual people. The prophet Samuel comes, anoints David. Saul was the king. He had the title, the position, and the private parking place but he didn't have the anointing. David had the anointing. David had the call, but he didn't have the title or the position. And for 40 days, a giant taunted Israel and Saul, and they wouldn't do a thing about it. 
So God takes this shepherd boy from the backside of the desert, brings him into Saul's camp, and everybody's afraid to take on the giant, even Saul, who is the leader of Israel. And he is head and shoulders above every man. I mean, he's a big guy, but he wouldn't fight. So David steps up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, and he says to Goliath, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And with a sling and a stone, he hits Goliath in the forehead, knocking him out. He falls flat on his face. Then David takes Goliath's sword, and he cuts off his head and wins the battle. God turned that battle into a blessing for that shepherd boy. Then the people began to sing. Look at what they sang in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, unknown David, unnoticed David is the talk of the town. The battle becomes a blessing, the test becomes a testimony, and David becomes king of Israel. He would be a nobody unknown if he hadn't faced that giant. And your future depends on you defeating the adversary in front of you. God loves you, but God wants to strengthen you, and God wants to promote you. But to do that, you've got to get in the battle. You can't run from your giant. He'll get stronger, you'll get weaker, and he will follow you all the days of your life, and you'll die with regret about what could have been. So God takes a shepherd boy and makes him king. I wonder what God can make out of you, out of us, out of me. Right now, some of you are in a big battle, but I believe God can take your big battle and turn it around and make it the biggest blessing in your life if you don't quit. One day, your test is going to be your greatest testimony because God's going to turn it around for you, and you're going to be a source of encouragement and hope for other people facing the same thing. Yeah, you, you, something, you, something happened to you. It was tragic. It went through it, but you didn't die. You're alive, and now you're doing well. And somebody else who's afraid of it can say, well, you made it. If, if I were a woman stricken with breast cancer, who would I want to listen to? Who would I want comfort from? I'd want some woman who had defeated it. When Darlene Check has been battling that breast cancer a year, a year with, with a surgery, chemo, and radiation, God bless her, I'm calling her healed, and she's strong, she's come through it, who was a source of encouragement to her? Well, she had lots of friends and lots of prayer warriors, but Holly Wagner, who's preached here many times, who defeated and overcame the breast cancer. Well, that, that's who I'd want to talk to, wouldn't you? I want to talk to somebody who's been there, done it, and they've come out and got a t-shirt, and they're okay. That's who I want to give me advice and how, who I want also to agree with me in prayer. So I'm just saying to you, sometimes we don't want something to happen to us or we're afraid when bad things happen to us. And God says, look, I'll redeem it even when you made a mistake or failed. I'll redeem that and you'll be a source of hope and encouragement to many other people who are failing all the time. God can turn your mess into a miracle. Now, number four, God turned it around for Paul and Silas in the New Testament. Paul and Silas are thrown into jail because they cast a demon out of a fortune teller. Acts 16, verse 16. Now it happened, as Paul and Silas went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit from her fortune telling. And Paul, this, apparently Paul is not looking for a demon. Paul is looking to go to church. He's going to the temple. And this woman keeps following them around. These are the servants of the Most High God. She's got a spirit of divination. So, some of you with the culture you come from in San Antonio, 
you better be very, very careful going to these palm readers and fortune tellers. That is a curse. Most of it's total fraud, but there are plenty possessed with a demon spirit. And this is in the New Testament right here. And Paul, after three days, just couldn't take it anymore and turned around and said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Bam. She couldn't tell you the time of day after that. And her masters lost their money and profit off of her. I remember once when I was 16, McGuire Air Force Base, New Jersey, in high school with some friends, guys and gals, and we were having popcorn and we were over at a house, and the mother of the girl of the house, about seven or eight of us were over there, was reading everybody's palm. She was a palm reader apparently. So most of us just looked at it as pretty much a funny kind of a joke, and she looked at my lifeline. Call, I call them wrinkles today, but she called it my lifeline. I'll tell you this why in just a second. And she says, hmm, you're going to have a great life, but you're going to have a very short life. And I thought, poo on that. <laughs> now, to me, it was just funny. When I became a Christian and I understood that this witchcraft stuff brings a curse on you, allows the enemy access into your life. I remember my first thought was remembering that, although it hadn't had any impact over my life at the moment that I knew about, but I immediately stood up and renounced that curse. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I break that curse of a short life of this or whatever she said, and of seeking out a medium, although we were playing, I renounce it and break it. Hey, I'm almost 71 years old, so you can kiss off on the short line here, whatever that is. That's just a wrinkle. That's just a wrinkle. I said, my life will not be determined by some palm reader, but by God. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord, lean not to your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct my path. Ain't no fortune teller going to tell me how my life's going to go. God told me how my life's going to go. And it's a good one. A good one. I'm a God win. Good, good one. God win. How clever. Whatever. So her owners got upset. They lost money. They drug him into court. They beat them. They threw Paul and Silas into prison. Their backs are bleeding. Their hands are shackled. It's midnight. Now, sometimes people act like midnight is the darkest part of the night. But spiritually and in the Bible, when midnight comes, an old day is passing away and a new one is coming. God's getting ready to do a brand new thing. I remember learning this years ago. God's days begin at night in creation, and the evening and the morning were the first day, and the evening and the morning were the second day, and the evening. And have you noticed God's new days begin at night? When the lights go out, it's not the end. It's the proclamation of a new day. So midnight mentioned some 12 times in Scripture something huge happened to Israel. There was major deliverance. There was major victory. In the darkest part of the night, midnight signaled God's divine intervention and breakthrough. So the old thing is passing away. God's getting ready to do a new thing in that jail. That jail's getting ready to rock. Verse 25, it's midnight. And Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns out loud to God. So if we turn our problems into praise, God will do something. You know, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. And some of you come in and miss all the praise on purpose. 
You, you don't recognize there's a spiritual warfare going on, and the praise is part of how God inhabits the people that He loves. And so, He talks about, let the high praises of God be in your mouth. Now, if ugly old 70-year-old Rolling Stone men can praise, they ain't praising God, but they're praising, you can sing in church. I can't sing worth the flip, but you, you, when you get with a crowd, you can sing off, off key. Don't want you up here on stage, but you can sing off key out there. And I'm telling you that, that there's a power in that. It's not wasted. It's not a ceremony. There's warfare going on. And God says, come on, come on, come on, build me a house. I'll inhabit the praises. You send the praises up, I'll come down, and I'll get in your midst. And so, in there praising God, and I'm sure they didn't sing very well either. Maybe they just made up stuff. God, you are great. God, you are good. Roll the windows up in your car and sing something to God. Quote some Scripture. Sing it out loud. Call on His name. That's what they did. And God sent a major shaking. When God turns your mess into a miracle, it not only affects you, it affects those around you. Everybody's prison doors got opened when Paul and Silas's got opened. Everybody's chains were broken, not just Paul and Silas. So when God heard the men of God praise, He did something. The earth shook. Verse 26. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. So everybody got affected when God turned it around for Paul and Silas. When God steps into your life and intervenes, He's working on people around you too. It's about much more than you. It could be the nurses or doctors or friends or people or even adversaries that are being affected by what's going on in your life. When the jailer who had been asleep woke up and realized what had happened, he put the sword to himself and he was about to commit suicide because the Roman government would kill him anyway for allowing these prisoners to escape. But Paul shouted out, do yourself no harm. We are all here. <laughs> he knew these must be different people. They hadn't run. And the jailer then cried out, what must I do to be saved? Well, he gets saved. Then he takes Paul and Silas home. He gives them some medical treatment, washes their wounds, and the whole family gets saved. God turned it around for Paul and Silas in a midnight hour. So God's going to turn it around for you in the darkest hour of the night, when you think it's not going to happen, when others tell you it can't happen, when it's beyond your capacity to imagine it happening, but you hold on by faith, God moves and turns that mess into a miracle. Don't you even think about quitting. You need endurance, perseverance. You have need of endurance that after you do the will of God, you might obtain the promise. We're Americans. We want it in 15 minutes or we're walking. And you try that with God, and you better go ahead and walk. But I'm not letting go. If God made a promise, God will turn heaven and earth upside down to fulfill it. If He has to renew your youth, if He has to open the womb of a 90-year-old woman to get a nation born, He'll just do it. So I don't worry about the how. If He made you a promise, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God doesn't change His mind. Circumstances do not change the mind of God about you. And God can turn your problem into major promotion. Matthew 19, verse 26. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How many things? All things. Not with me, but with God. I believe that all things are possible with God. In Acts 9, Saul, who later became named Paul, the apostle, went on a mission to persecute the church and arrest believers. But on the Damascus Road, on his way to arrest and persecute believers, Jesus appears to him. The power of God knocks him off his horse to the ground, and he's blinded. Sometimes God uses unusual things to get our attention. 
Sometimes it's a heartbreak. Sometimes it's a tragedy. Sometimes it's a business reversal. Sometimes you, you're, you're in some addiction to alcoholism or drugs. You get yourself in a terrible place, and God uses that brokenness because you can't fix it. You can't do anything about it, and you cry out to Him for mercy and for help. So don't worry about how God got you there, and don't compare it. Just in, celebrate the fact He got you to Himself. Most of us got broken unless we were raised in a wonderful Christian home and family. Most of us hit the wall somewhere, and somebody presented Christ to us, and we gave it a shot, and, and the rest is history. And so, uh, this light hits Paul. He's blinded. He falls on his knees. And God turns this oppressor into an apostle. He turns this persecutor into a prophet. I find that just amazing. I stand amazed that God would take somebody attacking His church, persecuting His people, and turn it around for them, and turn them into an apostle and prophet for God Almighty. It was unbelievable. God then tells a guy named Ananias, go to Damascus and lay hands on Saul. He's terrified. He said, that guy kills people. He puts them in jail, and you want me to go see him? Go see him. Verse 15. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. See, God will take the one you don't think he can use and turn him into a spokesman for God. Amazing. So our ways aren't God's ways. Our thoughts aren't God's thoughts. God loves hard cases, difficult situations. And we all have obstacles that get in our way, but the size of the obstacle is going to be different for different people. Why? Because our callings are different. What I've always found encouraging to me is Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he says, God will not put more on you or allow more on you than you're able to bear. That means he's the structural engineer. An engineer knows how much load a bridge can take. It's already been mathematically designed to take the load. So when God made you, He structurally made you to carry certain things. So when God allows something, even if it's not your fault, you have to renew your mind saying, I, I'm going to die. I can't take anymore. Yes, you can. And, and when you start praying that, He'll let you go on a few days to prove, no, you ain't going to die. And yeah, you can bear it because I made you. So, I, so whatever comes, although it's painful and you don't like it, you have to say, yes, I can bear this. Even if, even if I'm not going to be made well and I'm going to die, I can bear that time by setting my house in order, by giving praise to God, giving hope to other people, and live as strong and bold as I possibly He'll give me grace even to die. God will not allow more to happen to you so you don't fall apart. He made you. You're strong enough to take whatever comes towards your life. That helps me stay strong and stay tough. So I'm telling you, God can turn an obstacle into an opportunity. God will use our obstacles as opportunities to witness to other people. God can turn a sinner into a saint, or most of us wouldn't be here today. A woman was caught in the act of adultery. She was set up by the Pharisees. She was brought before Jesus, and the accusers wanted her to be stoned. In John 8, verse 7, Jesus said, okay, okay, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. He knelt down wrote something in the ground. We have no clue what he wrote. And when he got back up, nobody was there but her. In verse 10, woman, where are your accusers? Well, they all left and went back to church. <laughs> she said, they've all left. Jesus turned to send her into a saint. He says, neither do I condemn you. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. 
In John 4, he's sitting at a well. A Samaritan woman comes to him. This is unheard of that he, a Jew, would speak to a Samaritan, especially a woman. But he starts a conversation with her. He tells her, you've been married five times, girl. You're living now with a man, not your husband. In verse 23, Jesus said, don't you know that my father's looking for worshipers? See, God can turn even a wayward woman into a worshiper. And when she realizes who he is, she runs into town and begins to witness. Verse 28, she says, hey, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. This is the Christ, the Messiah. She's telling her story. That's the most powerful thing you have. We tell you all the time, tell your story. Don't debate theology. Don't get into religion. Just say, this is my story. This is who I was. This is what was going on. This is what God's done in my life. And people can't refute that because it's your story. It's easy to do that. We'll see that in just a moment. And I don't know about you, but I'm not too sure I'd get fired up about going to meet somebody who could tell me everything I've done. (laughs) I don't imagine you'd line up either, would you? But boy, because people knew who this woman was and she had a scandalous reputation, they said, something's gone on, something's changed, this woman, we're going to go see. Her story brought people to Christ out of curiosity, nothing else. And she's excited because she realizes she's been forgiven. Verse 39 says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him because of the word of the woman who testified. That's the power of your testimony. That's the power of your story. It's not deep theology. People thought, wow, can you believe that? And they came and accepted Jesus. So God not only turned this wayward woman into a worshiper, he turned her into a witness. So let me urge you, tell your story. So what can he do with me and you? May God help us to see our obstacles as opportunities, and may God turn your mess into a miracle. God can turn it around for you, and He can start right now. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.